other stuff, but before that, I don't remember reading on a lot of forums that big biopsies problems. Well, you know what, I, I'm i going to say, you know, uh, we've, we've always heard it here, you know, because yeah. people were always using magnesium to kill it, which is like total hit or miss, you know. And it was always work. like Kent, the Kent magnesium. Kent, Kent Tech M, but yeah. like, uh, uh, I would say that we were able to kill it with uh, BRS uh, magnesium back in the day. I haven't tried to use it that way in a mm -hmm. long time, but it was 50-50, man, you know, whether or not it worked or not. Yeah. Uh, and nobody really knew, like why or what was it the salinity or you know, like when people weren't like you know on the same page of you know do i because you had to add a lot of magnesium to get it up which meant the salinity went from like 35 to 40 parts per thousand oh, yeah. right and then and, you know some people are like well hey you don't do that you dilute it well yeah so if i dilute it from 40 down to 30 with water you know fresh water and take salt water out it, like I'm gonna now dilute uh, my calcium, my alkaline, every Everything other element. Else. Yeah, yeah, so it's like a total mess. So the fluconazole thing absolutely works. Like, uh, I, I will say the double dose in a tiny little tank that uh, a dummy did was uh, <laughs> not a good idea. But I, I have to agree. I'll, I, so Josh said he's seen no, no negative thing from using fluconazole ever. Hmm. I will say when we use it here, one of the things I watch for health is the uh, alkalinity consumption. And the alkalinity consumption goes down when we use the fluconazole. So it isn't killing the corals, but I'm also getting like a pulse that it's, the corals probably don't like it. So mm. they're consuming less alkalinity, mm. meaning they're growing not as fast. Right? Should you, with the skimmer and things off, should you expect, uh, you know, as the bryopsis dies back and increase in, you know, net phosphates and nitrates mm -hmm. from the die off? Yeah, that's why it's important to ma manually remove as much as possible mm -hmm. first, right? And so, like, if you manually remove as much as you can possibly first, then that stuff isn't going to die in the tank and mm -hmm. feed a new problem, you know? So, like, yeah. if you're going to kill a lot of uh, organic material in the tank, expect different problems all yeah. of a sudden, right? Yeah, and that's what I like. I was talking to some people on Aspirs TV about you know manually removing algaes and stuff like that, and you know the difference between hair algae and like bryopsis. Bryopsis you can really get in thick chunks, and uh, you could probably I like those bent tweezers with the the tip on it that mm -hmm. bends at a slight angle, so you can get really fine and into between the corals and stuff. Forceps. Yeah, and uh, and then it turn the flow down for sure, so that way you can grab it if you don't get a hold of where whatever's free floating, and even if there's stuff. Free floating. I was talking to some Aspirs TV uh, folks that I said you, you could you know you could put a pump. Uh, you, one you can put a hang on the side like filter with filter pads in, in it and stuff like that to suck up some of that stuff and put it in, capture it in some filter floss. You could put use a BRS reactor with a sediment filter or something to capture those floating particles. Uh, but you definitely want to get it out of there rather than just let it kind of free float because uh, that's the point. It just misses the point. Yep. But uh, yeah, for sure, I like the. I, I always take those little tweezers and pick it like bryopsis and you know pests and like Tyler's tank uh, to get it all out. But yeah, one of the things you can definitely we see people do all the time is like get uh, a power head that blows into a filter sock or whatnot, and so it's just cycling the water and it'll clear all the stuff. If you like, so you can pull it off and then eventually you need to like kind of scrub it, right? And then there'll be all this like you know, free floating by biopsis in the tank. And in general, that means it's gonna spread. So in general, scrubbing it off like that is just gonna cause it to spread. Mm. But if you're gonna do that prior to uh, doing something like dosing the fluconazole, uh, then 
It's not going to have that problem. Yeah. You know, you're going to kill it. So, uh, and you're not going to have all the nutrient problems when you suck it out, especially with a bare bottom where it's not going to like settle out in the sand somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So, and uh, as far as the Aptasia, uh, I've bought, we've had a couple, like, these. you hear about lasers and stuff like that. One, uh, they can damage your eyes pretty bad if you uh, oh, yeah. you get it reflected back into you. So it's always like, like I was always afraid to use one. But we, I bought one uh, a long time ago to try out, just to play around. And then I think Chad got another one that's a little more powerful, and we both tried it. And it sort of looked like it was doing something, but really, like the, I guess the intense light was enough for the Aptasia to kind of go in its hole. Just annoyed it all, and then later on it was back. Okay. Uh, I've never had that work. Yep. So, I mean, I'm just going to hit this home again for anybody who's, you know, chiming in here. You could try something like a, a copper band or, you know, the uh, uh, peppermint shrimp or tile fish or whatnot. Mm. It works. Maybe doesn't. Uh, you could try bergia, uh, and as long as you don't have any, you know, predators for the bergia in the tank, uh, you will almost certainly, you know, scale it way, 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 way back. Uh, the only thing you should not do is like Aptasia X and Joe's Juice and all that other stuff. You will kill one and then you will explode them all over the place. <laughs> uh, and and uh, those, those two companies are probably going to kill me for saying it, but I, it's just my experience now. I will never mm. in a million years do that. If I saw somebody about to do it, I'd tackle them to the floor uh, before <laughs> I could let them do that, man. Because, in fact, I like I gotta. Uh, there's gonna be a new product or our product lifecycle meeting uh, uh, next Thursday. I'm gonna have a question about why we sell this stuff mm. because uh, I don't think it's a good idea, man. Like, or at least we should update. This product is more likely to spread your issue than solve it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you might as well not even sell it at that point. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. That, uh, that's been, I think, a lot of reefers' experiences, and I, I don't know why, man. I really thought we could just like beat it back, you know, like yeah, we'll spout out six more, man. We'll just kill those six, and it would just be about tank maintenance. It's in there. It'll just be about you know dealing with it more about than uh, anything. But those things come out of everywhere, man. Yeah. And so there is no just like dealing with it a after it becomes like a plague issue. Especially you know? when it's in the depth of your colonies, your SPS colonies, yep. and that's where, and then you start to see the dieback of tissue arounding like this big, you know, green uh, colony down here. It was one of the most gorgeous ones that we had, great growth. And the base of him is covered in Aptasia, big giant ones, and it's, uh, I mean, yep. stinging them all over the yep. place. Luckily, with the colonies that I've noticed is the ones that do have Aptasia in the middle of them. Uh, they are, you know, robust enough on the branches and have enough thick mass uh, in the upper portions of it that I don't expect. Uh, a lot of times, you know, in, in sticks, like if you start to see tissue loss at the bottom, you're pretty much expected to have tissue lost all the way throughout. But I think these ones have a good enough base on them and that they're they're going to be fine and probably end up going growing back over. I think one of my uh, one of the canary corals over here behind Ryan, um, this one that looks like Dave's going to be able to pull up a, a view of it. Um, this one has always been the canary one, and I've seen this one die back because of lack of flow in it underneath and uh, the base of it's had you know some of the same thing you kind of see some white patches there mm -hmm. uh, the base of it had some of that RTR or STN I should say slow tissue necrosis 
but it was, like I said, ro robust enough that when the flow issue got resolved, uh, it started to grow back onto its own base and then recovered it. So, uh, so one of the things I want to get back to the moral of the story here is uh, just because we're talking about all this stuff doesn't mean you should go do it, right? And nah. so, like, talking about the hybrid method, if you're going to start a new tank, yeah, man, awesome, go do that. Uh, just because we're talking about it now, if you had a super successful reef tank, like don't 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 do what we're doing here don't because uh, what we experience every time we switch from Zeovit to Triton to the hybrid method to the next thing that we do inevitably, mm. you know, like we're gonna like two years from now we're gonna you know like try something new so you guys can learn that thing too. And we're gonna see the exact same thing, man. We're gonna see you know an issue, uh, a bunch of issues pop up, whatever they'll be. Mm. Uh, there'll be a handful of corals that get really mad at us and. Uh, I'll show it in different ways, and like, so don't do that at home. You got a successful tank, man. Like, don't go tearing out your sand. I, I just like unless the sand is becoming a problem for you, uh, and if you do it, I mean, we took out the sand over the course of months. Yeah, it was man. slow. Like cups of it, and if you're it, gonna do it again, even slower. Well, who knows? I mean, we could every time we scooped one out, it could have been like, I mean, like I said, it's like an overflowing kitty litter box in there, right? And like in certain corners in the back, man, it's just brown muck that's coming mm. out of the sand. And so every time we do that, you know, like even though we're trying to uh, suck it up with the, you know, the hose and stuff too, it's like just releasing some of that into the tank mm. and it just can't be good. You know, whatever is in it is, it's, it's not beneficial, almost guaranteed. <laughs> so, and in the tank's showing it to us that it's not, but wasn't beneficial yeah. as well. So, like, uh, it's just kind of like uh, the sand is kind of a magnet for that stuff, mm. man. And so, for us, uh, we uh, get to do this, try new things all the time. But I can tell you for sure, you know, I'm going to set up a new tank at, at my house in, in my basement. Uh, we're going to pick some, and you're going to see 10 years from now, it's going to be running the same thing it, it was same when we started. Same steady method. Like, yeah, yeah, because I'm going to put a lot of effort and time in it, and these are going to be my family's pets. You know, the, yeah. the corals are animals, the fish are animals, and we're going to watch these things grow. I'll probably trade them with people and stuff, and like go to shows and stuff and pick out the you know the coolest ones I can find. And like, like I'm not going to risk them for that. You know, this is kind of like a, a learning tank in, in essence, man. Like the failures here that we learn are what allows all kinds of other people to skip the failures or yeah, follow true. the progress, you know, like, all right, so we knew for sure the Zeovit method worked really awesome. We knew for sure that the, uh, in a totally different way, that the uh, 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 Triton. Triton system mm -hmm. worked really well, you know, and like in just totally, totally different past man like they couldn't even be like more different in, in my mind you know one's kind of based on no or limited water changes and you know fixing every last element of chemistry mm -hmm. and whatnot in a refugium and the other one with the zeovits based on bacteria and these zeolite rocks and isn't about you know you know trying to get every last element perfect it's you know use a little bit of uh you know mystery products i, I don't really know exactly what's in sponge power you know <laughs> uh, but i do know that when i use these things together as suggested man it was producing solid results so mm -hmm. uh, you know it's hard to say so but like yeah don't don't do what we do uh here <laughs> this is not a good example uh and uh yeah know. so if you want me if you want to be bare bottom uh then plan that ahead yeah, so that would be a good point, man. At that, uh, actually, you know, you watch the like the ULMs that are in my office, and now, 
You watch the struggles that we had with uh, having uh, bare bottoms in the beginning, specifically with that SPS tank. We just took it a little too aggressive in the beginning. Mm. Now the problem with the uh, softy and polyp tank is too much growth. You know, so now every available surface is covered in coral. Right. Like, what are you going to do? You yeah. Know, and now it's going to have to be able to chisel it off. And we're actually now like, all right, well, so that coral actually didn't turn out to be as cool as we would like. So we're going to try to get all of it off and replace, replace it, it with something else, yeah. you know. Uh, and so totally, totally different, you know, issues as, as time goes on. The I'm certain that the XXL 750, uh, uh, that thing, again, man, 10 years from now, be run the same way it's running today. Yeah, like, we're never gonna mess with that guy, <laughs> uh, for sure. But we plan for it, uh, and we just inherently realize that uh, if you plan for a bare bottom, like there's going to be this ec even longer path to stability mm. and then growth. And I think Josh mentioned it a couple times while he was here. Is that uh, yeah, bare bottom sucks in that first year or about a first year or so, but afterwards, they're one of the most stable tanks you could ever run. Yeah, you know what? One of the things we're actually going to take that to BRSTV Investigates when you know we run all those side-by-side -side tanks. Mm. And I'm not 100% sure we're going to do this or not, but like I suggested to uh, Aaron the other day that we should run sand in the bottom of the experiment tanks. A, because most people do run sand. Mm. Uh, but uh, and like in the beginning, we try to remove as many variables as possible. Right. But in this case, I'm like, you know what? If we put sand in there, the tanks are going to be like stable so much faster and there's like issues at your two and three you know but we're this we're experiment's are over then. in six months yeah. so like we're not going to experience you know experience the issues that you would experience hmm. with sand at a two-year mark so let's get the benefits of stability now yeah and so actually one of the things we're talking about doing is filling it up with sand and then using those export bricks from Brightwell, drilling a, like six holes in there and putting the little, uh, the frags inside oh, the brick, yeah. you know, so that, you know, all the cleanup crew and stuff can get around it. Like they can't get really up inside the, the, the egg, egg crate. crate. Right. Yeah. No, that makes so, sense. So I don't know, we're going to experiment with that a little bit in the future. Uh, see how that rolls out, you know, because uh, we're always looking to make these things easier. And like if we have to cycle the tank for four or five months in, in a bare bottom environment just to be able to do the experiment. The, the, it's a waste uh, of do the, the, yeah. We can do half as many experiments in the year. True. You know, so uh, we'd like to speed that up. Hmm. All right. Uh, do we have any questions over here? Uh, Ryan, will you be doing a video series on your new home tank? Oh, yeah, man, absolutely. So We've been over there a couple times just visualizing it and then seeing what it might look like and what if you do this and what if you do that and uh, looking at the space and kind of brainstorming different ways to light the thing, I think, and what it's going to look like. But Flow, yeah. yeah. So uh, I got two areas down in the basement, mm -hmm. man, like that, like, look like they were made for an aquarium yeah right? like to, your classic sunken type wall area where you should put a fish tank there and you should put a fish tank here yep uh, like literally I, I don't even think you need to own an aquarium to know there should be one. <laughs> uh you know but uh man like my personal like favorite type of tank is a peninsula mm -hmm. uh because you get you know three angles to the tank you know i guess this one has three angles too you can see through the sides but mm -hmm. like if you can imagine that this tank here, if it was a peninsula, I'd 
get to be able to look at the aquascape from here as well as a totally different aquascape from the back you yeah. know and probably a different set of corals and mm -hmm. wherever the fish like to hang out totally most. you can put twice as much coral almost oh, yeah, in for there sure. right mm -hmm. and i can the fact that you can like look through it adds like a sense of depth that you just can't get from anything else mm -hmm. now there's challenges like uh flow and lighting and all kinds of stuff and like where the cords go you know like yeah. i you know, getting to like one of the tanks we're talking about is like a 10 foot long tank, you know, like how am I going to get flow in this 10 foot long peninsula and not have so many cords on it that like uh, I hate it, yeah, you know, true. so uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to solve those problems and I haven't really decided like exactly what it's going to look like yet. Uh, That's part of the good part of the series though. You get to yeah. maybe you get to be there while you brainstorm. Maybe you get to be there while you mock something up in cardboard or PVC or conduit or something. I don't know. Yeah, so part of yeah, yeah, I think we'll do that actually. But so uh, you know, part of the whole thing is for me, this isn't the first rodeo. I have no shortage of tanks around me. Like so part of the fun, man, is the whole process of building it and brainstorming it mm -hmm. and whatever. First tank, you just want to tank as fast as possible. Oh yeah. Second tank, uh, maybe not. I mean, you've been doing this for 15 years. Uh, now, I have no problem with taking a year, you know, just to, plan, you know, you might even see water for 18 months. You know? <laughs> like, like, uh, I, I, like, we're going to follow it along, but it probably won't be typical to your uh, other series, but I fully expect to watch the whole thing like progress uh, yeah. and see. Now what I'd really like to do is invite like a whole bunch of like the, uh, you know, industry's uh, experts on specific topics and get them involved. So, you know, just like the WWC, you get you know, not just be arrested's opinion, but other people that are seeing success in different ways mm -hmm. and you combine them together to, you know, create something even better. Uh, and it's a, it's a reef tank that the hobby built. All yeah. of them. I mean, that would be pretty <laughs> awesome if we could get, you know, like 15 of the, you know, reefings who's who involved in, sure. uh, you know, kind of different aspects of how they'd approach different parts of it. Yeah. Uh, because it's not so important that you follow, like, the way that it was done, but if you understand the mentality of why it was done in a specific way, mm -hmm. you can apply it to your own scenario when or if you like. Yeah. You know? uh, all right. Let's see what else we got. Uh, how old is the BRS-160? So I think this was started in 2015. Let's see, I, when I got here it was March, or no, May 2016, uh, and you were sort of at the end of the 52 weeks of reefing and I think starting to look into 52 FAQ. Uh, in like in the fall time or it's something. Older than my kid. My kid's approaching three. So yeah, I don't know. It's like four ish. Just years. A, probably full, close to four. Yeah. yeah so uh, yeah, right around the point where you run into some issues and stuff too. You know. So yeah, right, right there. Especially if you decide to change systems. Every <laughs> don't do that. Uh, all right. Anyone using diatom filters these days? Uh, you know what? Uh, I had a friend of mine, Morty, had one. Uh, you know what a diatom filter is? It's just a really high micron or, well, low micron type sieve or filter. Well, so I, I, I've only seen one run. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of an older way of doing things, I, I guess, or not very often people do it. Mm -hmm. So what he did is he had like a pleated filter. And then you put these diatom powder or diatomaceous earth uh -huh. or whatever in there. And then it covers the filter, the pleated filter, and has like just super, super fine, you know, holes, I guess, at that point that it goes through it. 
and you can filter out almost anything mm. at, at that point. Uh, and yeah, it's, does it get clogged pretty rapidly? Yeah, that's so. What he would do is like start that thing up with water going through this little canister filter that was covered in the dye transfer, and then go through and like vacuum out his sand, and while he was doing maintenance and stuff, and clean out the sump and whatever. And so when he was doing all that stuff. It was running and sucking all the stuff up that you just you know from disturbing it, blow off the sand or uh, off the rock mm -hmm. and then you know suck all the stuff out. Okay. So uh, you definitely didn't run it all the time. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, to the answer to that question, does anyone do it? I'd be curious if anybody in the comments is doing it, but it's kind I of think an older in, way. I think in some of those uh, diatom-type uh, threads on Reef to Reef about eradicating diatoms, like this comes up pretty frequently when breaking the life cycle uh, or the you – know, there's they're doing a the combination of, like, medication and manual removal, and uh, in which case they throw one of these diatom filters on there mm. and – manually blow it off or blow off all the diatoms uh, try to get as much into this filter filtered out and then again and again and again until the chain of cells of the bacteria start to get smaller and weaker and smaller and weaker until it's one of the ways that approaches wow. the diatom so all right well i've never had to run into that thing uh thank uh, lord but, uh <laughs> yeah the uh yeah i haven't seen it used that way so huh. that's interesting um uh, you all Will you uh, carry on running a fuge on the 160? Yeah, so one of the things with the fuge is eventually, like, I'm, I'm curious about this, is like, do you outgrow the need for the fuge? You know, so after, you know, five years or whatnot, like, you know, the tank's sucking up, the coral mass is sucking up all the food in there so fast, you really even need you, the refugium. Are you starving the corals because of the refugium? Okay, so get ready though. Remove the refugium. Change uh, your time. Yeah, man. Don't be surprised Jeez. when things don't go well. Because uh, you have made a major destabilizing event in the biology of the system. Yeah. Right? So, uh,. Right now, yeah, we're gonna leave it on there. Yeah. Uh, I would never want to destabilize it even more than than we did with the sand, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, I I think the refugium can be a really really awesome way to solve nutrients for you know somebody in the first you know I mean forever really, but you know, double so in the first few few years of the tank where there aren't a lot of ways to get the nutrients out super, super efficiently, you know, and, you know, water changes are the least efficient way possible to get anything out of there. Yeah. Works, but it's a lot of work and costs money and whatnot. Growing some algae does not. Uh, you know, I guess it costs some money to buy the lights and whatnot. But. Yeah, and, but if you get the right light, then that was money well spent because it's better than uh, the, depending on the type of light, it's better than you know, replacing. Uh, if you have to go get, you know, multiple bulbs from the hardware store that are, however many times less effective than getting the light that is made for that purpose, then it's probably worth my investment. Especially if I don't have to, if I can reduce the other things that I'm doing for nitrate and phosphate control, like reduce the percentage of water changes, maybe reduce the amount I skim, or if I need to skim things, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. GFO and shit. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Corals dying underneath, is this always flow? Uh, uh, no. Uh, always is too strong a word no, no, for no. anything. Uh, but I, I just noticed it on that one uh, because everything else in the tank at the time was looking superior, you know, looking out, outstanding. And for some reason, that 
coral over there was not looking good, and the coral was the he was starting to recede on the bottom. So in the, then when I put my hand in the tank, that I noticed that the gyre on that side had been off, uh, and I don't know if it was this. Oh, it was one of our modules went out because we were running it on the zero to ten volt control for the apex, and one of those uh, ice cap interface modules went out, and it was the one that was running that pump. Uh, and we should have realized that it was happening because we should have had. You know, wattage draw alerts on these. You know, I think we pumps. do, man. There's so many apexes here. Like, uh, yeah. Like, I mean, eventually, I mean, I'm gonna say it out loud. Eventually, you just kind of turn some of the alarms <laughs> off because there's like 80 apexes here, and so you kind of get down to the mission critical stuff. Yeah, true. Uh, because uh, otherwise, all weekend long, man, like, uh, there's just so many things. Mm -hmm. When you got how many apexes do you think are in the in this place? Holy cow. Well, we've got about like the, we've got about 30 tanks, and those are just like 30 hobbyist tanks. We also have all of the lab tanks that are not counting too. So you know we're upwards of 40, 50 tanks, and probably at least an apex per two or an apex per three tanks. Yeah. So like we get kind of down to the mission critical elements on a lot of them. Like yeah. the pump is slowing down. Uh, is not something I'm coming home for the weekend for. You know <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. So uh, uh, I don't know. For me, the coral design underneath is, is in relation to flow, and coral design underneath a few different things. Man, pests could be eating it, whatever down there. Yeah. You know, they tend to go from the bottom up. Uh, you know, it could be a bacterial thing or something too, but does kind of go pretty fast, mm -hmm. right? But often you'll see corals that like, you know, uh, very very often they're shading the base, and because they're shading the base, the bottom dies off because it doesn't get any light. Mm. However, the difference is in a lot of tanks you'll see the bottom totally 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 blacked out, man. They're like the coral is, you know, totally blacked out the area, and even sometimes the base is grown underneath an overhang, or mm. certainly not getting any light. And I believe the big difference there is the flow is allowing the uh, nutrients to get spread throughout the coral's tissue mm. a lot better than it would without adequate flow, right? Uh, and there might be some nutrient elements in the tank as well. So, you know, maybe it doesn't need as much light as it does because you got amino acids and other elements. And when I say nutrients, I do not mean nitrogen and phosphorus that could be part of it, but I'm looking at the whole equation, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. of how it builds uh, protein for, you know, its, you know, soft tissue production. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, so flow can definitely be a part of that. Uh, I always, always. I uh, Jake is blowing us up on here, but he has some pretty good questions. Uh, one of them is, does the, is the BRS, uh, are you using a UV sterilizer on the BRS-160? And I think we just decided to turn this on. Again. Yeah, so as of uh, like a week ago, we turned the UV sterilizer on. So for those of you who don't know, we put the UV sterilizer on in the original series, uh, uh, 52 weeks. And then when we decided to go Zeovit, like, oh, can't do it now. You know, yeah. Uh, now there's no reason to not have it on, right? True. And so the uh, you know UV sterilizer will do a whole bunch of different things. Uh, it will probably break down some of the organics. Uh, they usually generate a tiny bit of ozone or whatnot, and so uh, probably reduce the smell, the odors. Uh, it won't like stop any illness from ever happening in the tank. But these t these fish have never been sick, man. So mm -hmm. like I just. I'd be shocked, man, if they broke out with illness. But we'll, you know, help prevent them from from that. But also, I got a feeling that uh, 
if we had, when we killed Aptasia, if that thing would have been on, they wouldn't have spread the same way they if did. If they were free, free floating in the water column, yeah, it would have let, let, it, let all those little Aptasia babies go. Mm. Uh, we probably would, it would, they still would have happened, not to the, the same degree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we turned it on. Uh, it's not gonna, you know, hurt anything, and uh, it can only help in a whole variety of different ways. People get worried that it's gonna kill some like uh, microfauna, like copepods. And uh, a copepod is so much bigger than a bacteria; uh, it's uh, unlikely. Uh, but well, even if it did, who cares? And 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 the amount of, if you imagine, like. Uh, a lot of people are worried about that, but what you what you don't see is uh, right now I don't see a bunch of copepods floating around in the tank or floating through the sump. That's because they're attached to surfaces. They're crawling in the rocks. They're crawling in the ball of Cato. So to think that they're going to make it through, you know, to the display and make it down there's through no to the UV, pods. and there's a lot of pods where that's just not going to be a factor. At least in my concerns. Yeah. And, uh, you know, would I have it on, you know, during like uh, the initial cycle? I don't know, man. I, I would love to find out like what the difference is when you have that thing on. Like, what if you started a tank with a UV sterilizer day one, and because of that, you like avoided all kinds of algae issues, hmm. didn't have to clean the glass as often, maybe. You know, like, you know, it's not going to prevent things that are have already landed, but it can prevent them from landing in the first place. Hmm. You know, hmm. uh, and so. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'd be curious to see, but yeah, we turned it on. Uh, it was already plumbed in in there, and there was a whole bunch of good reasons that we debated about and said, yeah. oh, let's plug it back in. Uh, we think we changed the bulb. Yeah. Uh, well. uh, all right. Zeovir Triton, which you do you prefer now? I'll let you go first, man. Um, I'm, I'm still a proponent for Triton. Uh, like, as much as... As much as Ryan likes the Zeovit, uh, or he said that the blue bottles had kept him in tune with the tank, and I mean, give you a reason every day. And that's the first time I took over the BRS 160, uh, taking care of it, maintaining it. It was the we were still on the Zeovit, so yeah, I had you know, three bottles that I dose eight drops a day of, and then on every other day I would dose a couple more bottles a little bit of. And I, that means I'd have to bring some bottles around here to the front and actually dose into the tank, which means my eyes are now on the tank, looking on the inside of it. Uh, I had to pump the mulm, you know, on a regular basis, replace the media on a regular basis, carbon on a regular basis. So uh, you're always in your tank, but you you have eyes on your tank. So uh, there's, I definitely agree that there's a lot to be said about that. But I also like like uh, the four-part dosing system. I, li I like the refugium as far as like the nitrate and phosphate control and reduction because I can see how effective it can be. Uh, I like the four-part dosing that I don't have to really worry about trace elements. Uh, it's built into my it's built into my four-part. So unlike unlike dosing you know BRS two-part to my 125, I was dosing I was doing the Red Sea you know the Red Sea trace on top of that. Uh, so it's just additional things I had to do. But with a four-part system like the Triton, it's built into it and designed for it. So it's like one last thing I just have to think about the various trace elements going in there. I probably, I don't know, I like, uh, I would probably run it on a, the way we have been uh, on an auto water change system because I was I was in charge of running the, the sending in the ISTP tests for here and then doing what the ICP test te uh, said to do, and I didn't do it. So just. If it says to do four, four to six water changes, you know, over the next four to six weeks, um, nah, I'd, I'd put an auto water change on it and then send in my Triton test once a quarter, twice a year, maybe. Uh, but I'd still run it like the way we were running it, though. I really like it. 
So I got, uh, I guess, it depends on the tank I'm running. Mm. You know, so like uh, like every good tool, there's a different uh, job that it's perfect for. And there isn't one that is uh, universally better than all the rest. And so if we treat it that way, uh, I think it's just wrong. So in this case, if it's a hobby tank that I'm gonna run at my house uh, and I got time to do it and I enjoy doing it, this isn't like a painting on my wall that I wish it would just stay alive without me touching it. Yeah, true. Like I actually want to engage with the corals and the fish and I want to enjoy doing it. Zero bit all the way. Hmm. Uh, it was fun. I was never been, of all the tanks I've done in my whole life, I've never been more in tune with it. And it is because it asked me to do things every day. And what I'll say is it didn't have to do them every day. Like. We didn't plunge the rocks every day because nobody was here on the weekends, you know? So it wasn't like it has to be done every last day, every little bottle of you right. missed one day, it's gonna blow up. That isn't the case. Right. It's just, you know, more regular the better. So uh, if it's a hobby tank, it's in my house and I have a reasonable life, you know, structure, I, I like the zero bit one. Hmm. If I'm swinging the other way a little bit, right. where like, I need to go a little bit more prolonged periods uh, between, you know, when I, you know, engage with the tank. I definitely would go with the uh, the uh, Triton method, mm -hmm. and if especially if I'm gonna run a refugium, I like the Triton method because adding a bunch of things that are designed for a refugium that no other two or four part are gonna do. In the end, I don't really buy into the no water change thing, mm -hmm. uh, like. Yes, it works. You can absolutely not do the water changes. You can send in the reports and you can get it and they'll tell you to dose this, that, and the other thing and uh, or do a water change or whatnot uh, if you need it. And it's absolutely accurate and it's absolutely a way to do it. Uh, but I just found that like it kind of encourages laziness, mm -hmm. you know? And so once you start encouraging like, I don't, the less I have to do, I'm trying to circumvent all this work. Uh, it kind of like, when you when you get the thing and it says do it, it makes you even question whether or not you even have to do it, because the tank looks okay, but it doesn't by the time you get the next one. And so for me, uh, just do, I love the Triton method. I love the fact that of all the pieces of how all of it works together, and instead the only tweak that I'd make to it is I just do the 10% water changes weekly. Hopefully I do it on an automated solution and I do all the other things uh, and the refugium takes out all the nutrients. It's super easy, mm -hmm. turn a light bulb on, once in a while I throw them in the trash, done. Yeah. Uh, uh, the four part allows me to not think about all kinds of different trace elements and stuff. I, it was a, it's a, a home run all the way. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely reduces work in the end, even if you choose to do the water changes. Uh, Definitely less work than you know the Zeovit was, mm -hmm. so I need a little hands off because that's the way my life is. I like hands on because this is a hobby. Pick the one you like. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think there's times where like, well, on spe specifically on this one, even being on water, out of water changes and things like that, where uh, I would still pull the entire ball. Uh, like there was big manual tasks that I'd still complete, like pull the masticado out and vacuum out underneath of it, vacuum out the sump and do the big heavy duty maintenance on the tank rather than just like, it's on auto water change. I don't ever have to touch the tank again for however long it's going to be set up. 
Uh, no, but I do enjoy some of those big tasks, so like cleaning mm -hmm. up that sense of satisfaction of if there was still sand in here, vacuuming out the sand bed. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I agree. All right, well, we're over. Uh, sorry about the little technical difficulties in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, Dave, man, you're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, uh, so, yeah, but we got to, you know, share our ugly baby a little bit today, which is, uh, I, I don't actually, that's one of my favorite things, man, because showing not just, like, what works, you know, but, hey, when things yeah. go south, man, that is the best learning tool you could possibly get. Yeah. You know, so, I'm like, what do they do about it? And so what we'll do is, uh, A, uh, we'll never try to kill Aptasia again with uh, uh, Aptasia X or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, and two, uh, we're going to kill it with some Bergia. Uh, three, for those of you who didn't see it earlier, we're going to use uh, the red LEDs on the lights to capture our six line rats, uh, six -line rats out of there. Uh, yeah, well, they can't see red lights, so you just turn the red lights like on, close dark. up every other light in the household, and easy to do them. in here. It's a no window room too. So. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. We turned on the red lights in the radion, or the not the radions in the uh, Kessel X 360s, uh -huh. and uh, the, our clownfish and their uh, fang man couldn't even see the net right in front of his face. Only when he touched them did he know <laughs> that it was there. And for us, it's like broad daylight. So. I thought that was super cool. Thank you, Jeremy, for that little tip. Yeah. Uh, hopefully somebody else will catch it. In fact, I think we should do a video just on that thing. But we can't expect uh, a full featured produ uh, produced video about how the ones re-encapsulating re what we talked about here, though, In right? a perfect world, uh, yes, we will do that. Fingers but we're crossed. pretty busy, so uh, we'll see. But I definitely wanted to cover it. It seemed like a good day if we yeah, do it. for sure. All right, awesome. Take see care, guys. Week.